Hey there and welcome. You are listening to the Parkview Global Podcast. We are so excited for you to join the conversations between our Global Missions hosts and our amazing guests. Don't forget to follow our social media accounts at Parkview Global. Now, enjoy the podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to the Parkview Global Podcast. My name is Bill Carroll and I am the Global Pastor at Parkview Christian Church right outside of Chicago. And as always, I am joined by Christy Mullen, our Africa Coordinator. Hello everyone. We want you to invite you to follow along with us as we welcome a different one of our global partners on the podcast each month. I am very excited about today's conversation. Today we are joined by one of Parkview's global partners that has served in churches in China for many years. And just a heads up at the beginning of this episode that there are several security issues involved for this partner, so we won't be using his real name or specific locations in China. But I let him pick his own name for the episode, and he chose Kyle. So (laughs) welcome to the podcast, Kyle. Thanks, Bill. Happy to be here. So first things first, we always like to start with the really heavy questions. So um, when returning back to the United States uh, during all this COVID craziness and everything, what was like the one food or restaurant in America that you were looking forward to get to eat while you're here? Oh, definitely. Uh, well, it's a tie, Mexican and barbecue. Nice. So, and we, uh, when we first got back, we were in a place where we had sandwiches for lunch every day for a couple <laughs> weeks. So we haven't been to Subway since. Now we like Subway. <laughs> yeah. It's a wonderful place. Normally that's one of our choices, but uh, not, not this time. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, how about like, I mean, you come back here, I mean, is, is American Chinese food, is it like just laughable? I mean, it's probably completely different than what food is in China. Yeah, my kids have a lot to say about that. <laughs> I bet they um, do. You can get real Chinese food, you just yeah. got to know oh, where good. to look and stuff. And normally if you go to a restaurant and say, well, do you eat this? Well, what would you eat? Because a lot of them have, you know, right. Chinese people who are cooking in there, so they know how to cook the real stuff. And then some Chinese places in the United States have everything from Chinese food to sushi, which is completely two, two different places. You can buy. Well, in China, you can buy sushi, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Kyle, you, you have an amazing life story. And if you would start us from the beginning and tell us about your path and how you got to China and, and really how, how God took you there. Yeah. Uh, no, I'd love to. Um, well, first, I never wanted to be in global missions growing up. <laughs> Honestly, I thought uh, a lot, some of the people I knew, I mean, they're great people, but I thought uh, some that I knew were like, we called them mission geeks. <laughs> and there, there were some, and our theory was they were going to go overseas because they really didn't fit into American culture. Um, and uh, I knew a, a classmate in college who went and was like, no, you're like normal, don't go. <laughs> You know what are you doing? And uh, and then I was over the a period of time. You know I was at a conference and somebody spoke and I didn't want to go, but I started praying for missions. Uh, in fact, I started fasting one meal a week and spending that time to pray for missions. But I didn't want to go. And then <laughs> the actual guy who spoke came to my college campus. And I ended up across the table from him at lunch one day, and he's like, "Well, what are you doing this summer?" And, uh, well, what about, what about going overseas on one of our teams? And it, this was actually to another country in Europe. And I went, uh, I need to get some ice cream. And so <laughs> I said, well, I'll pray about it. And my first thought was, yeah, but if I do this, I have to ask people for money. And mm-hmm. I don't want to ask people for money. Um, and, but I agreed to pray about it and felt like God had said, yeah, yeah, take this step and we'll see what happens. 
And then afterwards I came back, still no plans to go overseas. I had a great adventure mm. that summer. Um, but then I, I came back and I was uh, working on other stuff and that same guy called and said, well, would you come think about, pray about working full time? And I just thought, but then, you know, it's, it's easier to get churches and people to give a one-time gift mm -hmm. than monthly. Yeah. I was like, oh. So again, I prayed, uh, fasted about that and in different ways, God, I think, confirmed that I should move uh, in that direction. And so, uh, lo and behold, uh, this is where I am. So I, I left the job I was doing at the time and went straight to the office of this mission organization. And two days later, we were planning trips and recruitment for the coming year. And he said, hey, what about leading a group to China? I was like, what? So I didn't. I never had like the handwriting on the clouds. Uh, Kyle, go to China, right? Um, but the, our whole strategy was based on need. Because hmm. at the time, you know, if you looked at the numbers, most missionaries went to places that already had missionaries. Hmm. And so our organization was focused on the place the least reached. And again, at the time, if you looked at a list of the least reached cities of the world, like six or seven of them, were in China. I mean, Tehran was at the top, mm. and then the rest of these cities uh, were in China. And so um, it's like, all right, <laughs> never done that before, but but let's see. And uh, and so that's kind of how that journey starts. So I went there and led some summer people and had a lot of adventures. Um, and then after a couple short-term trips, I ended up staying. Um, and then found a job, learned language. Thought I'd, I'll, I'll go for a couple years. Well, I'm, you know, I'm more equipped now than I was two years ago. Why go home now? Uh, I was single at the time. And then one year led to another. And it's like, why? Well, I spent all this time learning language. I'd, I'd felt no call to come back. And, uh, well, many years later, <laughs> here we are. You're still doing it. Yeah. Awesome. So um, what, like, what, what do you think it was, though, that helped you decide to stay there? So you said the writing wasn't really on the wall for you, but so why did you stay then? I think the need and building relationships with people and seeing the need. Uh, so when I first went, things were a little different now. And the church in China has a lot more resources. Mm -hmm. But uh, many years ago when I went, you know, some of the Christians we work with were, we don't have any other training options mm -hmm. um, and equipping options. And there just weren't as many Christians then as there are now. Um, and so part of it was the need. And then the need shifted. So after I was there a few years, uh, you know, we started, we're going to go and we're going to show the gospel with people really low key and we're going to be careful and uh, not make a lot of noise. And, you know, everybody kind of goes trying to find the local Apostle Paul, right? Mm. Who's the one who's going to be fruitful and multiply? And, uh, and so that was how we started. Well, then later on, I read about some interviews with large network leaders. And they said, you know what? Honestly, we can do, it's much easier for us to share the gospel with people. Now, we kind of share the gospel, and then they kind of fall through the cracks, and then cults are eating up our people, and we need some, uh, we need help with Bible and theology training. Uh, and so... Uh, and I thought, well, 
I'm more gifted at teaching than sharing the gospel, so this feels like a pretty good fit. Uh, so I actually shifted gears, and instead of teaching at a university, um, I, I started traveling more and would go to different cities and had a contact and uh, we called it the, <laughs> in the industry it's called the van at night thing. <laughs> Tinted windows and sometimes through toll booths they'd kind of put a coat over my head. And, um, and then you go in like to sometimes an apartment in the city, sometimes a farmhouse and you just stay there. You know, you're, you're it feels a little bit like quarantine mm-hmm. but you don't go in, you don't go out. Um, in fact, one time they're like, okay, la, the women's Bible study's coming over to this house now. They don't know you're here, so you are going to use the bathroom and you're going to stay in your bedroom and lock the door for two hours until they leave because we don't want them to know uh, that you're here because they'll talk. And so I did that training, but then even somebody challenged me. Um, he said, you know what? You bop around from place to place mm-hmm. and you do this three days, you do this three days. You know, in 10 years, what fruit are you going to have from it? You know, it's, it's, it's helpful, but so that was, uh, that was a challenging thing. And then we shifted. And now the focus is on simple, reproducible, you know, and that million-dollar question, um, what are you going to leave behind? And so one, one of my uh, coworkers, he said, Kyle, you know, the only thing that really matters is what I leave behind when I head home. And so when it's simple, reproducible, the more people you leave behind who can share the gospel, the more people who can lead a discipleship Bible study that's, again, really simple and reproducible, where they really engage the Word of God, they really build community, they really obey, they encourage one another to obey and share, and you communicate that this is the normal Christian life. And the more people who can read and interpret and understand the Word of God for themselves and can even get a group of leaders together to sharpen each other. It's like, I mean, it's like Uber Church, right? You crowdsource yes. ministry. Amen. Um, and when we did, some, we trained some locals in this. One of the, the members said, you know what? The shift that happened was our focus before this was how do we get more and more people into our building? And now our thought is how do we take the church out where the people are? And so... It's like, all right. And if I were not to be able to go back now, there are people who right now are able to start groups and who have raised up leaders who can start groups and are equipping people and how to share the gospel and do these things. That's and Now, right would there. it continue? Yeah. It can all stop tomorrow. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that is, that's what we're aiming for. And we're praying for a movement. Yeah. Christy, did you catch how smoothly he used his own fake name? I did. That, 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 that was really good. Um, so, like, you talk about, you know, the need being the thing that, that drew there. Like, I mean, is it ever overwhelming? Because, I mean, like, I'm just looking, like, you know, there's two cities over 20 million in China. There's one, two, four, there's four over 10 million, another 25 that are over a million. I mean, like, is that overwhelming or is that just like, oh, man, this, the possibilities are endless? I have not felt overwhelmed by it. Maybe because, you know, when you're in a city, like, I would say 5 million, 10 million, whatever. You're like, well, I mean, how much can one person do, <laughs> right? So whether I lived in a city of a million or 100,000 or 20 million, yeah. it's kind of the playbook is the same, Good, right? It's you engage with people and you look for people who, I mean, you got two choices. They're believers and you try to challenge them and equip them to be fruitful. 
or they're not believers and you look for opportunities to share the gospel with them you know so we go chit chat conversations meaningful conversations spiritual conversations and if the doors open share the gospel and uh and and what it doesn't matter where you live and you know keep a list of people that you're praying for and trying to engage with anybody can do that anywhere one of the people we train this was her this was her comment she said you know the cool thing about these really simple small groups is you know, you go over to someone's house, you open up the Bible, you can start a small group anywhere. Awesome. And so I, I have met people who are overwhelmed by that. It's like, oh, no. You know, it's like I got to stand before God. I got to try to reach 10 million people. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you don't. God never called you to try to reach 10 million people. Good. You know, Jesus didn't try to connect with 10 million people when he was on this earth. Yeah. So That's awesome. I think I'm excited to have you speak into this next one a little bit because I, I think for most Americans, you know, they hear about the churches in China. It's, it's, a, it's kind of this mysterious thing. And, and, you know, there's really, it can be quite, quite complex because there are some government-approved churches that are allowed to exist and they're monitored very closely and they have regulations. And then there's thousands of churches you know, that are independent, we, we refer to as underground churches or whatever, and they exist outside of the government's knowledge or approval or whatever. Like you said previously to us, they probably know a lot more than they let on to, but but um, talk to us a little about the churches in China and how they function and maybe some of the specific challenges. Yeah, yeah. Oh, happy to. Um, in America, we often have a very clear black and white distinction. It's legal or it's not, mm. right? It's open or it's underground. Whereas it may be more helpful to think of the church situation in China like the speed limit sign of 55, mm. Right. So like sometimes you get busted for driving over 55. I don't know what you're talking about. Kyle. I know it. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, if you're like in Chicago mm-hmm. and you're only doing 65 in a 55 zone, you could, you know, you could get hurt by people mm-hmm. driving by. See, and so it's more nuanced uh, than that. And so you've got, of course, you've got government approved churches in buildings led by pastors who have gone to approved seminaries. Um, and you, you're going to have a gamut of those. In fact, some of them, part of their culture would be similar to uh, the church. Maybe that they were, some of those were started by outside missionaries, say, 100, 100 uh, plus years ago. And so ones that were originally Lutheran are going to have a little different style, the Presbyterians, you know. And so they'll re- they've, some of them have retained some of that. Um, but... And they'll have a variation on ministry and stuff. But don't think like government-approved churches are liberal and the underground ones, you know, Mm -hmm. good guys and bad guys kind of thing. You've got the whole gamut. Uh, And some are very passionate about the gospel. Uh, Sometimes they get along really well. uh, We call them unregistered. Uh, Partly because some have been quite large. Mm. I mean, I've heard of ones that were a few hundred people, even a thousand. And... You can't hide a church of a thousand. And they never tried. Right. Right. I've gone into office buildings and seen, you know, that little first floor wall with floor one, floor two, floor three, and, you know, this floor and the name of a church Mm -hmm. is on there. Right. And, you know, the authorities know that they're not they're not stupid. But sometimes like when you're driving over 55, nobody's getting hurt. Traffic's moving Mm -hmm. along. Everything's okay. The cop lets it go. Yeah. So. You know, nobody wants anything going down on his or her beat. So as long as nothing's going down, then we'll we'll let it go. But if my boss says I got to do something, then I'll do something. 
or if something happens, right? Somebody calls us up and complains, yeah. like here, they would have to do something. Mm. Um, and so th- it's varied on how that relationship has worked uh, over the years. So sometimes they're very hostile toward each other. And I've heard of places where a government-approved church, if they hear about an unregistered church, will call the authorities and report them. Other places, they work together on projects. Hmm. In some cases, approved churches have asked um, the unregistered churches for resources and stuff. Uh, I was talking with one guy, and he was like, I was like, so, you know, you're with, like, uh, government approved. He's like, we don't talk about government approved. We don't talk about not approved. We're just here to preach the gospel. If we do that, we're good. Nice. I was like, hey, hey, bless you. And so, and then there are some approved churches, if the restrictions get high, then they'll, they've switched Hmm. and become unregistered. Wow. And so it's really much more, much more nuanced. And I mean, you can have underground churches or unregistered ones with all kinds of problems. I mean, people are people, churches are churches. Uh, And even sometimes heroes, you know, they may be really passionate or have survived persecution, but yeah, managing a church complicated, managing finances, you know, people aren't perfect, so they're, you know, they're great people, but I bet most of the problems you'd see in a church here, you scratch far enough, you'd see similar ones. For sure. There. I met another guy, he's like, you know, depending on how long you've been in leadership, if you get caught by the police, kind of, and they want to fine you, because if you negotiate with them, you can get the fine down. And so, you know, if you're really young and inexperienced and you give up real quick, okay. But if you've been a church leader very long, you can't give up that quick. You've got to negotiate longer, right? You know, there are like different expectations uh, and stuff. And so um, they, you, you, you get it across the gamut. Um, and uh, and I, one of the cool things now is more and more churches are getting a vision to send out missionaries. Cool. And, and cool. some have said, you know, we've been blessed by outsiders. You know, we got a large church. I mean, it's not like our country's poor anymore. It's our turn to be a blessing to the nations. Wow. And so, um, you know, I talked with the guy who said, yeah, I know our network has people in 20-plus uh, different countries. So what are one or two things that might really draw the attention of a government to a, to a church? A foreigner being involved. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so the rules are very different. And so one of our, actually one of our biggest security concerns are that other local people will talk about us and mention us because they're more free with communication. Yeah. Now the security situation's tightened more in the last three years than I've ever seen it. Really? And so, yeah, yeah. And so you remember when I said like the cop when their boss says you have to do something? Mm-hmm. Well, their bosses have told them they have to do something. Wow. And it started about three years ago. Um, before that, they would just, they would all talk freely. So small group, you get a small group in your church. They form a, a, a social media group. They send prayer requests. They send Bible verses. Nobody worried about anything. And, uh, you know, nobody's getting hurt. Nobody's causing problems. They're teaching people to love each other. The authorities would let it go. And then suddenly it gets a little tighter and churches get visited. And it, it happened all over the country. So there was always places where one place is strict and another place is loose. But the last three years, it's been more uniform across the country. And, uh, and churches, a lot of churches had a plan to 
I mean, they would tell their people, we may not be meeting as a large group next Sunday. So if that happens, here are the small group leaders, here are the homes where we're going to meet, here's who's in what home. So just wait, you get the text, this is where you go the next Sunday. Now, some have never used that plan, and others went ahead and started doing it before the authorities told them to. Uh, and then others were told to, you get the whole, you get the whole gamut. But uh, it's, uh, people have had to be a lot more careful. Yeah. Okay, you're going to love this next question. So speaking for myself and probably a lot of other people who have done on the, on the field missions work outside the country, um, we've all daydreamed about getting kicked out of our country. There, there's some kind of like mini martyrdom thing there or something. I don't know what. But, um, but for you, I mean, that, that has come for real close a few times. And will you tell us a little bit about some of your experiences? I mean, it's, obviously China is a huge country, very involved in the global market. So there's, there's expats, I'm sure everywhere but as a white guy i mean that's that's can stand out i'm sure at times i mean like like for you what has that been like especially somebody who really wants to help the church grow but at the same time has to be careful in in some capacities in china tell, tell us some stories yeah so um no i heard some preacher years ago and i don't know maybe it's not just people overseas but it's you know, you imagine, all right, here's the statue to commemorate the place where Kyle gave his life to Jesus, you know, or was kicked out. And, um, I, I feel it. You know, different personalities. Some people are the, oh, I only see possibilities. Well, that is not me. I, I can find a potential problem in any situation. Every, every single time I have gone somewhere to teach or train, the question came up, is this it? Hmm. You know, is somebody going to walk in? Um, and, uh, uh, and, and it happened uh, once. And wow. I wondered if this was it. You know, it's like texting my wife, pray. And, and uh, you know, a friend was with her. It's like, ooh, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I thank God uh, that I'm still there. And uh, uh, so, you know, we do, we do wonder. And I, it's a tension. You know, we're careful. Uh, and there are a number of dynamics involved. One is uh, we're really concerned about the threat to the local people yeah. that we know. And so there's always a cost-benefit analysis is, you know, am I adding more value or am I adding more risk? Okay. And generally, we let the local people make that decision. And, uh, and some people say, yeah, no, we're going to work with you. Um, other times they're like, yeah, no, we can. It's like, no, nah, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we can bring you in. We can have a hundred people. It's like, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> All it takes is one person to start texting or take a photo or this is really cool. And, uh, you got problems. Mm. Um, now the advantage of that is our goal is to be reproducible. Mm. And so it's a lot easier for people to realize, you know, it's better to get three or four people to learn this and then turn around and reteach it. Because we don't, we're hoping for, you know, multiplication. Yeah. And we're hoping for a movement. And the ideal would be almost nobody even knows about us that these foreigners were ever involved. May it all be done yeah. locally and indigenously. Um, but sometimes there's kind of, a, I don't know, prestige or something. Oh, you know, I want to hear the foreigner. And we try to just play that down. Like, Good. 
you know, we've learned language uh, fairly well. And so there's always, with a new group, there's always, a, oh, wow, right, you speak our language. It's like, can we just get over that and get on with the work, you know, and get on what, what we're here to do. And, uh, and so that's, that's the ideal. And so the increased restrictions make it easier to kind of convince people, no, we're not doing a big group. Good, yeah. Um, let's, what does it look like to multiply? And even, I mean, we don't want, we don't, you know, here you're planting a church, you would love to get a lot of people. But uh, for us, you know, two people who will turn around and start groups is way more valuable than we lead groups yep. for 500, right? Right. And so, you know, keep, keep your eyes on the goal and the focus. That's good. You've alluded, alluded to it a little bit, but like you have a very specific set of skills, which are awesome. Can you explain how you help churches in China equip church leaders? Uh, it's changed a bit over the years, depending on the dynamic. You know, first it was um, sometimes we teach uh, Bible. Uh, at one point, how do you preach or teach? Um, now the focus and, and the needs of the church have changed. And so some, um, yeah, Bible overview, Old Testament, New Testament, um, but as the church grew and developed, and they developed their own indigenous ways of providing Bible, say, Bible theology training. So a lot of them have access to that. Uh, I mean, I know of groups that are like, okay, our church has a two-year one, and we've got a three-year one, we've got a one-year one. Mm -hmm. and, and now it varies in the country. And so more recently, uh, the churches have, have asked, how do we engage the city in ministry? Cool. And so, uh, you know, it's not uncommon for urban churches to have small group ministries, to have even marriage ministries, uh, worship teams, um, some cross-cultural stuff, and uh, in various ways, ways of helping the poor. Um, I, I've, people have talked with me. It's like, uh, you know, can you help us get money? We want to get a place to take care of the elderly. I mean, you know, in China, there's a, a rapidly aging uh, population. Hmm. Um, and so they're realizing how are we going to care for all of these or all these people at the same time, they're trying to set up a social security system from scratch. I mean, can you imagine yeah. basically shifts that have happened in America in a hundred years yeah. have yeah. happened in a generation wow. or two in China? I mean, the, the scale of the challenges they have to deal with is just boggles, uh, the mind. Uh, and so, uh, we feel like the simple reproducible approaches are great for the needs of the moment right now. I mean, they're always useful, but they're looking, how do we engage? How do we equip people uh, to engage? And we also use, I don't know, I don't call it a flexible know, consultant or coaching approach instead of, all right, here are the three things I do. You want them or not, <laughs> but it's more of a, hey, how you doing? What are your challenges? And you, you know, you got to earn trust More with people. Yeah. You know, you, when someone talks with you, you know that the the real question in meeting number one is, do I even want to have meeting number two? Right. And so, what's going on? And can we add value with those conversations? Because, like many church leaders here, church leaders there are lonely. Uh, and there's a, a cultural, we call it a power distance or a power gap. It's a, a higher view of positional authority. You know, if people disagree with you here, they have no problem with telling <laughs> you about it. 
And they'll vote one way or the other, but they have a greater respect for positional authority. That doesn't mean they agree with them or even like them, but the boss says so, and we're more likely uh, to go along with it. But it also can lead to loneliness and a lack of accountability and support for church leaders. And so sometimes just, you know, one guy I talked with, he said, you just ask me good questions. So, okay, how are you doing with your wife? How are you doing with your kids? How are you doing with your family life? And, you know, as opposed to just working all the time. That's awesome. So tell us, what are you excited about right now in the church in China? Um, I'm excited about more and more people uh, shifting to this. Everybody gets involved in ministry mindset and paradigm. Uh, I'm excited because the church is moving towards um, sending out their own missionaries and cross-cultural involvement. And the word that comes to mind is they're growing up in the sense of, you know, sometimes we talk to people, you know, when we started, it was like they only had one resource. They had very few resources available. And now it's more of a, okay, we need your help now, but, you know, we don't need this, we don't need this, we don't need this. And so it's a much more peer, you know, relationship. And they feel very comfortable saying, yeah, we're good. You know, we really don't need any more help uh, in this area. But, wow. hey, we do need help with this, and it's it's much a, more of a partnership. So that's that's really cool and exciting to see. Very cool. Um, yeah, I love, I love what you just said, that level of maturity. Um, we want to see all of our people living life on mission, every person living life on mission. So um, when I think about that and when I hear about the way you kind of got into long-term missions, I wonder what you would say to somebody who's sitting in the same seat you were in several years ago, wondering what to do next, what's the next step? Am I, am I waiting for this vision or am I just taking the next step? I, I wonder what you would, what kind of advice you would offer. I would say take the next step. And no matter who you are, own the Great Commission as part of your calling. I mean, that's whenever we do a train, we start with the Great Commission. It's like, you know, who is this for? Pastors, missionaries, elders, who? Everybody, A, B, C, D, everybody. And everybody says everybody. And so, okay, what does it mean to be living out the Great Commission? You be a disciple and you make disciples. Um, and so I would, are you praying for people you know who are Christians and non-Christians? Are you seeking opportunities to have spiritual conversations with them? I mean, don't beat them up upside the head and go, hey, how you doing, <laughs> you know, and, and jump right into it. Just get to know them. Love people, find out who's open um, are you equipped? Uh, if someone says, yeah, I'm interested in spiritual things, would you know what to do that? You know, get equipped to do that. And there are lots of resources to help with that. Um, and, uh, you know, can you lead groups? Can you help equip people? Um, it's, it's not that complicated. Um, one thing is people are super busy. So find ways to do it in the spaces of our lives. And, uh, you know, this is, you can make a difference for eternity uh, by, by uh, jumping on board with this. So the great invitation. What That's are you waiting awesome. for? That's great. That is awesome. So, Kyle, how can we be in prayer? How can our listeners be in prayer for you and your family and the work that you are on mission for? A lot of the standard stuff, pray for open doors for the gospel. Pray for God to raise up leaders who will multiply and catalyze 
I mean, we pray for his kingdom to come in the city where we live and all the millions of people. Uh, we pray for every believer to get involved in mission and realize I can do this. God wants me, he has uniquely gifted me to have my part in this and that they would step into that. Love it. Love it too. <laughs> I'm excited just listening to you. Uh, thank Kyle, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. And Parkview is so honored to be partnering with you and, and just to get to be a part of what God's doing in China. Can't wait to see what God does next. Uh, we want to let our listeners know that they can check the show notes. We've included some general information on, on uh, how churches are planted and growing in China. And also in the notes, you'll find links to more information on each of Parkview's global partners and how you can get connected. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless. 